1: this church that you happen to be in right here, right now, was planted by a wonderful couple called Philip and Jackie Corrigan, and they uh, are, are both from uh, this place, uh, but they did, uh, they, were, they connected with the Vineyard Movement through a man called Steve Nicholson. And uh, Steve and his wife, Cindy, lead the Evanston Vineyard just north of Chicago. And Philip and Jackie ended up going to train uh, with Steve and Cindy for a while, and then were sent out, and this church was planted from the Evanston Vineyard, and Phil and Jackie planted it. And Harmony and I came along uh, a couple years later, and that's a whole different story. But anyway, um, the same uh, story was repeated with Sean and Debbie Byrne in Dublin. Actually, Dublin was first, and then, then Belfast. Um, but the Evanston Vineyard has been used by God to impact this island in a significant way. And it is a real treat to have Steve here with us. Cindy's around. She is preaching in the Carrick Fergus Vineyard, so she wanted to be here with you, um, but uh, she's doing the Lord's work in other places. So, um, uh, Harmi and I wouldn't be here without Steve and Cindy and the Evanston Vineyard. It's an amazing church. You've been leading that church for over 40 years, right? 42,
0: almost 43.
1: Almost 43 years. So... He knows a thing or two. And so, if you call this place home, we we all owe Steve and Cindy a huge debt of gratitude. So, it is just a thrill to have him here speaking this morning. So, put your hands together again for Steve.
0: Okay, that's enough. You're taking my time. (laughs) You know, I I was actually remembering the first meeting and my first visit to Belfast as I was sitting here this morning. Uh, There was uh, a little group of about 20 people gathered in somebody's living room. And uh, I was there. They had They'd kind of sent a message saying, you know, could we have a vineyard here in Belfast? And I was visiting down in Dublin because we'd already started that church. And that's why the request came to me. And so I thought, well, I'll just go up to Belfast and we'll just see if there's anything there to work with. (laughs) Like, (laughs) I know that sounds really funny right now. But (laughs) I just, you know, you never know when, you know, people say, can we have a vineyard here if they actually really know what they are asking so anyway I, I was there to see and so we're meeting with this group and I'm listening to them and we're worshiping and, and uh, you know and then Philip and Jackie were there, Corrigan and I, I was asking two questions you know is this really the Lord? Are we really supposed to do that? And the second question was if so who's going to do it? You know, is there somebody here that God is calling? And and uh, as soon as the Philip and Jackie came in, I just felt like God said, it's them. They're the ones. And uh, so when the meeting was over, I got them into the kitchen. So we were in the kitchen of this house. And I said, I think God is calling us to start a vineyard here, but I think it's supposed to be you, but... What that would mean would mean you would have to leave here, bring your entire family, move to Chicago for a year, spend time with us, figure out what a vineyard actually is, and then come back. And the people that are in this room would have to give the money to support you during that year. And uh, the power of the Lord came on the room. They were both on the floor Screaming and crying, um, in the kitchen. So, in a very real sense, this all started in a kitchen, and God came, and it's been a God thing right the way through. You know, and the reason I want to tell the story is so that you know that it wasn't like Steve Nicholson sits there and says, "Well, I think I'd like to start a church in Belfast." That's not how it happens. It's more like something that came from God, and God made it happen, and we just followed. We just kept saying yes. And this isn't the sermon. This is just like the say hello, but (laughs) (laughs) it just seems like, you know, what, what God wants to say to you right now is it's your turn to keep saying yes. You know, it's your turn to just keep saying yes. God's doing this thing. He's going to take it. He's not done. He's just hardly, it's just the first chapter. You know, he's in this. He's behind this. He's backing this up with power. You just have to keep saying yes. All right, that's that. So there was a woman named Perpetua who lived a very long time ago, third century. She lived in North Africa. She had just gotten relatively recently married. She was from kind of a noble family. And she had just had her first child, a boy. And we happened to know her story because she wrote a diary that was actually preserved. And also because her story was was repeated in the sermons of some of the church's historic uh, preachers, uh, in particular a man named uh, Augustine. And he told us about her. Anyway, she... Uh, became a believer in Jesus, became a follower of Jesus. And uh, as these things happen, not long after, the Roman emperor needed somebody to blame for all of the empire's troubles. We all know that this is what politicians do. They find somebody else to blame for all of their failings and their troubles, you know, so that we can focus on them instead of... On the politicians, who are actually the responsible ones. Anyway, that's what happened, and so he picked the Christians and launched a persecution of the Christians, and of course the the uh, the uh, particular uh, point of conflict was that it was an accepted duty, a civic duty of Roman citizens to make sacrifices to the gods on behalf of the emperor. And the Christians wouldn't do it because they believed there was only one God. And that Jesus was Lord and not Caesar. So when the persecution was launched, Perpetua was arrested along with five other brand new Christians. And her father came to her. Now, her father was not a follower of Jesus. He was a powerful man, um, a rich man. And he thought, this is not a big problem. We can solve this. This is easy. You know, this is sort of like is often the case with people who have privilege. You know, we can solve anything with money and influence. And he said, this, this is not a problem. All you have to do is just deny that you're a Christian. Just tell the governor you're not a Christian and you'll be fine. And she said, Father, do you see this vase here? Could it be called by any other name than what it is? And he said, no. Well, she said, neither can I be called by anything other than what I am, a Christian. So what proceeded was about a month's worth of her father trying every parent book trick in the book to get her to relent. You know, he tried, you know, the, how can you do this to your mother and I? Think of all that we've sacrificed, you know, the guilt thing. You know, he tried that one. He, he tried, you know, think of your future, your husband, you know. Um, you know, you're shaming us in front of the whole community after all we've done for you. He, he, he uh, appealed to the baby. Think of your child. You've got a brand new baby. That he, your baby needs you. He tried begging, he tried pleading, he tried sobbing, he tried everything he could. She was unshakable. So the day came and she stood before the governor. And as she's standing in front of the governor, her father walks in with her baby. So that she's got to look at the baby as she's facing this. And the governor starts pleading with her. You know, please just, you know, deny Jesus. You know, make the sacrifice. Because he didn't want the messiness of putting to death a a brand new mother. But in the end, she would not change her story. And would not make the sacrifice and so she and her friends were taken into the arena where they were attacked by wild beasts and eventually slain with the sword and you know every time I hear that story I'm just really struck by how utterly unshakable she was I, I think like how how could she do that? How, how did they do that? She's like so strong, so committed, so heroic, I, it's hard for me to imagine, you know, uh, how you do that looking at your newborn baby. Um, and it makes me wonder, is, is there something I'm missing? Like, is there something she had? <laughs> With Jesus that I'm somehow missing, I don't normally feel that strong or that heroic. I haven't been tested that way. I don't know what I would do then, but I certainly don't just at the moment feel that way. <laughs> I I wonder how that happened. And you know, we are also living in very uncertain times, aren't we? Dark times. Almost anything could happen in the next year. And you know, in those kinds of times, it's more important than ever that the people who follow Jesus should be the unshakable ones. When the whole world is shaking, we must be unshakable. So, what's the secret? And there's a prayer in the Bible that I think has the secret to being unshakable. It's found in Ephesians chapter 1, a letter from the Apostle Paul to the Christians in Ephesus who were also in shaking times and also under pressure and experiencing great hostility to the faith and he writes to them this prayer so that they'll be unshakable. So let's look. Ephesians 1, starting at verse 17. And I'm going to read from the God's Word translation uh, just because it's simpler. In my church, we have people from 55 different nations of the world. Most of them are operating in their second language. So we try to <laughs> drop it down a little bit. Um, so I'm, I'm conscious of the high level of English that you have here in Ireland. <laughs> Feeling a little insecure, but anyway, here we go. I pray that the glorious Father, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know Christ better. Then you will have deeper insight and you will know the confidence that he calls you to have. And the glorious wealth that God's people will inherit. You will also know the unlimited greatness of his power as it works with might and strength for us, the believers. He worked with that same power in Christ when he brought him back to life and gave him the honored position, the one next to God the Father on the heavenly throne. He is far above all rulers, authorities, powers, Lords, and all other names that can be named, not only in this present world, but in the world to come. God has put everything under the control of Christ, and He has made Christ the head of everything for the good of the church. The church is Christ's body and completes Him as He fills everything in every way. So, as the Apostle Praise for the church this is his most important prayer and the sense is he's continually praying this prayer for them it's not like a one-time thing but he's always praying this for them and what does he want he wants them to have supernatural confidence he wants them to be unshakable we are meant to be unshakable so why aren't we Well, the clues are kind of in the prayer. The things he prays for are kind of the things that would keep us from being unshakable. And the first reason why we're not unshakable is we just don't know Jesus well enough. That's the first part of his prayer. He prays that we will know Christ better. You see, a superficial knowledge of Jesus, that's not enough to be unshakable. Like... Even a thorough knowledge of the facts about Jesus and of the story of Jesus, that is not enough to make you unshakable. There has to be something more. There has to be an experiential knowledge. It has to be the way that you know somebody close to you. And that takes spiritual help. It takes something from God. You can't just do that on your own. And so he prays for wisdom and revelation from God. That something will be given to you that helps you have that experiential knowledge. And all I can say is I've seen this happen over and over again. People say, yeah, I know God loves me. And they're not unshakable. But then something happens to them. And the power of God falls on them. And they come up and they say things like, I never knew there was so much love. They thought they knew, but they didn't know. (laughs) And then they knew. And it changed everything. So he prays that we would know him better. If we knew him better, we would know just how powerful he really is. If we knew him better, we would know just how much he has our life in his hands. If we knew him better, we would know how much he loves us and how much he's for us. So, we need to know him better. And if we do, we'll become more unshakable. Second reason we're not unshakable is because our eyes are dull to spiritual reality. It's actually our eyes and our minds. To really get it, we have to understand there's a reality beyond this physical world. And that this other reality, this other world, is more real and more lasting than the physical world. But we get so caught up in the immediate things. So busy running fast that we don't slow down and tune into the spiritual world that's all around us. When you start to tune into the spiritual world, things start to look different. About 40 years ago, at the end of the Vietnam War, they brought in a lot of refugees from Southeast Asia, from Vietnam and Cambodia and Laos. And a lot of them landed very close to where our church is. Um, Our church is close to a part of the city of Chicago where they bring all the refugees. So now they're bringing in all the Syrians and other Middle Eastern refugees are coming there, which we think is great because that, that means they're close to us. And so we can go to the mission field without doing anything more than going across the street. So anyway... These uh, Cambodians and, and Vietnamese are coming, and so we had teams, our small groups would team up, and we would help them get resettled. We'd find them a place to live, and they were coming with nothing because they're refugees, so we would like, you know, get all the furniture and just everything they could possibly need to have a place to live, and then we would help them... Learn how to navigate, you know, the city and how to get around and where the offices were to get, you know, the government help that they needed and so on. And that was all great. But then after a while, they started saying some strange things to us. And first it was like one person said, like, I don't want to go by that corner. They name a corner. I don't want to go by that corner. There's a demon that's living in the tree there. And we thought, like, you know, superstitious people. Except then, a couple weeks later, a different person named the same corner and said, I don't want to go by that corner. There's a demon living in the tree there. And after about five or six of those, you start realizing, like, hang on. Like, they are all giving us the same report. They seem to be more tuned in to some reality that we aren't seeing. And so you start to realize, maybe, maybe, you know, um, the problem is that we're just not looking for spiritual things. We're not tuned into the spiritual world. Maybe we're missing out on things. We're dull to it. And so we get our lives tied up in the unstableness of this life and miss the stability and the hope of the spiritual life. A third reason that we aren't unshakable is we don't understand our inheritance. So he says, I pray that you will know the glorious wealth that God's people will inherit. You know, if we could understand the glorious wealth that is ours, we would not get so shook up over all the little things that happen in daily life. The richest man in history... Was a man named John D. Rockefeller, an oil magnate in America. Um, in today's money, his net worth at its peak was three hundred billion dollars, which is something like ten times what Bill Gates is worth. Okay, so so like Bill Gates is like poor by comparison to the Rockefellers. All right, it's sort of the richest man in history, and you know. If he was your father and you were due to inherit three hundred billion, do you think they would worry if you got stopped on the way home and took a five pounder off of you? Would you get shook up because your car got crashed into? No, you just go buy ten more. <laughs> you know, you just all the little things that happen in life. You just think, like, well, that, that's nothing. You know, I got three hundred billion here. But listen, three hundred billion. Is nothing. Nothing compared to your inheritance. Because what the Bible says is. We. You and I. Will inherit the world. The world. That's what it says. That's the wealth he's talking about. We're going to inherit the world. So. Maybe some of those other things that we get shook up about just don't really matter that much if you're going to inherit the world. The fourth reason we aren't unshakable is we don't really understand the great power that he says is working for us. We don't get how much it's for us. He says, I pray that you will know the unlimited greatness of his power that is working for us. For us. There is a great power in the world. But it's for us. It's working on our behalf. We are not on our own. We don't have to fight this all by ourselves. We are not defenseless in the face of darkness and evil. And change and uncertainty. We are not doomed to be victims. With no hope and no future. Because there's a great, great power. That is working in the world right now. Right now for us. While we're sitting here. It's working. For you. And if we could understand that. We would be a lot more unshakable. And he goes into some detail. He says first of all you need to know. It's resurrection power. This is the power that raised Jesus from the dead. That's not just resuscitation. That's transformation power. He was raised to a body that was immortal. That's the kind of power that is at work in us. And if that's in us, if resurrection power is in us now, then what is death itself but just the necessary next step to our own resurrection bodies? It's also the power of highest authority and honor. The power he says that raised Jesus to sit next to the heavenly throne of God. Far above all authorities and powers. Whoever sits in that place is powerful indeed. Let me help you understand that. You know there are a number of places in the Bible where angels show up. What's the first thing the angel always says? Don't be afraid. Why does the angel always have to say, don't be afraid? Because to put it in an American phrase, they scare the tar out of you. <laughs> like, I always, my, my whole major, you know, people say, oh, I saw an angels, it was wonderful. I think, ah, you just saw a picture of an angel. You didn't actually see an angel. Because nobody who actually saw an angel says, it's wonderful. They all say, it's terrifying. you got to remember one angel, one, killed all the firstborn of Egypt in a night. One angel destroyed the entire army of Babylon in a night. The Bible says one angel, one, could light up the whole world. Many years ago, I had a men's group, a group of young men meeting in my house. And it's, it, it, I can't explain this. I can't even find words adequate to describe it. All I can say is, in the middle of my men's group, an angel manifested and in an instant, I had eight men either on the floor screaming or doubled up in a fetal position, sobbing like babies. It was utterly terrifying. They could not even speak about it to each other for months. It was Just the the power, the presence, the holiness of God that they carried with them was uh, overwhelming. But you need to know that at the end, of the Bible the apostle has a vision and he sees it says 10,000 times 10,000 angels gathered before the throne of God not one not two 10,000 times 10,000 thousand—an unlimited a sea of angels Gathered before the throne of God. And when Jesus comes in. They all fall down on their faces. Because he has the power of highest authority. So maybe that gives you an idea of just how great. That power that's working for you really is. Yeah, I think if I felt more connected to Jesus, it might be more real to me. And maybe I might speak with more prayerful authority to more of my battles and my struggles. And when I must go through suffering, maybe I would remember more clearly that our current sufferings are short and temporary, while the glory that awaits us is forever. You know, it's a power, a greater power than everything that opposes us. The forces of evil are always trying to obstruct us and destroy us. You'd probably be surprised how many of your struggles are actually connected to the forces of evil things that we think are just normal. A friend of mine, one of our women that's a leader in the vineyard, had a sort of a slow motion heart attack a couple of years back it took them about two months to figure out that she was having a heart attack and uh, when they finally figured out they said it's a miracle that you're even alive and they said your heart is only functioning at 10% of its capacity so like we don't know how you're actually living but she was and we had a gathering of our vineyard pastors and leaders for the vineyard and there was one night they invited people to come and get prayer and she felt like God told her go up to that guy somebody she didn't know and ask him to pray for you so she goes up to him asks this guy to pray for her, and he starts he's, he's kind of a weird guy and he puts his hand on his back and he starts going putting his fingers up and down her spine He's supposed to be praying for her heart. But he's putting his fingers up and down her spine. And then all of a sudden he says, oh, there it is. And then he rebukes a demon. He says, there's a demon on your back. He casts the demon off of her. She felt a big surge of energy. When she went back to see the doctor, her heart function was at 60%. So it appeared 100% physical. But there was like a major demonic function on that that was making it worse. And it makes me kind of wonder, Like, I wonder how many other things are like that. But of course, the good news is, if you spot it, you have power over it. You can get rid of it. We don't have to be victims. You know, uh, as a leader, sometimes we get mental attacks and I remember one time feeling just all of a sudden out of the blue deep discouragement like this is all nobody listens to me I don't know why I bother get up and preach you know that kind of line nobody's listening nobody cares they only come to church once a month and they think that's regular you know and it's just you know and and so on and and so real deep discouragement. And I finally realized, oh, this is like an attack. And I just asked the other pastors to pray for me. And it just like popped like that. And it was gone. So, you know, there is a greater power at work in you. You don't have to get kicked around all the time. What's from is that it's the power of final victory secured. He says he's put everything under the control of Christ and made Christ the head of everything for the good of the church. Which is amazing. He's in control of everything, but it's for us. We don't see it fully realized yet, but the final victory is already, un- already certain. It's unstoppable. In the end, folks, we win. In the end, we win. You know, there's all kinds of people saying, you know, the church is dying, you know, it's fading away. Don't worry. In the end, we know the end already. In the end, we win. What fades away is all the fake church, which we don't need anyway. Right? But the real church of Jesus, it wins in the end. You know, it's an interesting thing. In World War II, when they did the Normandy invasion, once that invasion succeeded, everybody knew the the outcome is now certain. The war is as good as over. But the war went on for another year. But uh, the outcome was certain. And during that year, there were more casualties than there were the whole rest of the war, even though the outcome was already certain. Well, that's exactly where we are spiritually. Like, the outcome of the war has already been determined. The, the, the crucial victory has already been won. Now we're just waiting for the mop-up. In that time, it's messy and conflictual. We don't see God's will yet being done on earth as it is in heaven, but we know that we win in the end. And you know what? Every time you see God's power manifested, every time you see somebody healed, you know what that is? That's a sign that tells you it's all true. It's a sign that tells you we win in the end. It's coming. God's promises are true. It will come to pass. And as we get in touch with those realities, that's how we become unshakable. And it can't be done. It's been done. It made perpetua unshakable. It's made many others before us unshakable. I stumbled on another one as I was preparing this message. It's a letter from an obscure young Lutheran German minister who was put to death by the Nazis in World War II. The letter was published after the war. He's not famous. You've probably never heard of him. His name was Herman. But they allowed him to write a letter to his parents on the day he was to be executed. And they saved it, and so he... This is the letter, translated obviously from German. He said, uh, "When, When this letter comes into your hands, I shall no longer be among the living. The thing that has occupied our thoughts consistently for many months is now about to happen. If you ask me what state I am in, I can only answer I am first in a joyous mood, and second, filled with great anticipation. God shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. What consolation, what marvelous strength emanates from Christ. I am amazed. In Christ I have put my faith and precisely today I have faith in him more firmly than ever. My parents look up the following passages and he has them look up some passages. Look anywhere you want in the Bible. And everywhere I find jubilation over the grace that makes us children of God. What can really happen to a child of God? Of what indeed should I be afraid? Everything that till now I have done, struggled for and accomplished, has at bottom been directed to this one goal whose barrier I shall penetrate today. I have not seen nor ear heard, neither has entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. For me, believing will become seeing, hope will become possession, and I shall forever share in him who is love. Should I not then be filled with anticipation? What is it all going to be like? The things that up to this time I have been permitted to preach about. I shall now see. There will be no more secrets, nor tormenting puzzles. Today is the great day. From the very beginning, I put everything into the hands of God, and now he demands this end of me. Good. His will be done. And so, until we meet again above, in the presence of the Father of Light, your joyful Herman. That man was unshakable. We could be unshakable. We must be unshakable. And so I pray that each and every one of us will be unshakable. I pray that God will give us that insight, that wisdom. And that you'll think on these things and pray on them until they become part of your reality. Every day so that you can become one of the unshakable ones. So let me just read that prayer one more time. I pray Let's do it this way. Let's stand. Open your hearts. We're going to let, let let God answer this prayer in you today. I pray that the glorious Father, the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, would give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know Christ better. Then you will have a deeper insight. You will know the confidence that he calls you to have and the glorious wealth that God's people will inherit you will also know the unlimited greatness of his power as it works with might and strength for us, the believers, that he worked with that same power in Christ when he brought him back to life and gave him the honored position, the one next to God, the Father, on the heavenly throne. Lord, fill us with that kind of of confidence and make us unshakable ones. Amen. Thanks for listening to this
1: message. For all the latest information about what's happening in the life of our church, or if you have any questions or comments, head over to BelfastCityVineyard.com.